Hello, you found Animation Celery. Crunchy conversations about classic cartoons. Nothing better represents our world than this colorful collection of singing and dancing half-animal, half-man things you're meeting here today. Like me, Matsy. And me, Micah. So, Animation Celery, we give each other different cartoons to watch. And then we come back together, we discuss and review them. In this episode... We're going to look at tunes with toy lines for boys. Toys for boys. Toys for boys. We're looking at Transformers, the Headmasters, Rebellion on Planet Beast, as well as Mighty Max, a bellwether in one's cap. First, however, the news. Boop, 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 breaking news. What is going on? Yeah. Oh, my God. I, I fell into... A wealth of just I'm swimming in an embarrassment of cartoon riches over the past week. Mm -hmm. I I binged a cartoon that I thought was pretty good. Okay. And then I binged another cartoon that I thought was even better. Mm. And then I binged another cartoon that I thought was even better. Wow. Yeah. Um. So I got three things to talk about, and I'm going to talk about them separate weeks. I figure I can get three weeks out of this. Okay. So. The one that I'm going to talk about now is the one that I tweeted about, and I can't mm -hmm. pretend that I didn't watch. And okay. that is Centaur World. Yeah. Have you seen this? I've seen some of it. Yes. Oh, man. Okay. So this is a cartoon on Netflix, animated series, 10 episodes in the first season um, with an obvious setup for a second season. Hmm. If I had to put an arbitrary time frame on it, I might say that this is the best cartoon I've watched during the pandemic. Hmm. I love this. This is the concept of this cartoon is there's a war horse from a human world where her and her rider are beset by pillaging creatures that have are just dominating and taking over the world. They have an artifact, which is supposedly the key, the key to everything. And they're trying to find the general, but there's a mishap and the horse is transported to a magical, musical, colorful, whimsical world where everything is what the furries refer to as a tar, which is to say it has kind of a four legged or more animal style lower body and a more human style upper body. Right. Not actually and that many centaurs. Giraffe tars and so on, but yeah. And, and I mean, everything, like if you look at the trees in the background, they like, they have a second set of roots in the back. Yeah. And a cyclone is a centaur. Oh yeah. A tar. Tornado. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So that's uh, how far into it have you gotten? Well, uh, past the point where they've gotten their quest. Okay. So you've met water baby. Yes. The hippo tar. Um, have you watched this on your own or did you watch it with Raven? I did watch it with Raven. She really likes it. You know what? That's what I thought. That was that's why I ask. I don't know why, but mm -hmm. as I was watching it and you know her taste better than I do. But mm -hmm. I was just thinking, like, I bet Raven would really like this. Yeah, well, true enough. Yeah, she really does. This is such a good I in one evening, 
I watched the first episode and went, hmm. And then I watched all the rest of them. And then I watched the first two episodes again. Mm -hmm. And I've been watching it a second time over the last few days. Okay. Also, this is a musical. And it's a Mm. it's not like a cartoon where, you know, there's maybe a song here and there every few episodes or so. Or maybe there'll be a special episode where there's songs. This is like there's at least three songs in every episode. And they're pretty good songs. They're fantastic. This is the first cartoon I've ever found where I've gone to iTunes to see if the soundtrack was there. And it is. And I've been listening to it. Like It's like listening to the cast recordings from a Broadway musical. I don't know mm. what else to say. It's it's on Netflix. Anybody can watch it. It's so good. It's made by someone named uh, Megan Nicole Dong, who is a name that I recognize because I'm pretty sure I followed her on Tumblr, I think it was, where she did little comics about sharks and merpeople. Mm. And... Because I recognized that name when I saw it. And so this is and she's so she's the producer of this. She was also a cartoonist. She's also one of the voice actresses. And right. And the voice actors do the singing, too. It's not like they have other people doing their singing voices. Mm. And they're all excellent singers. Kimiko Glenn. Kimiko Glenn is she's the voice of the horse and she's an incredible singer. She mm-hmm. I think she has an uh some kind of background in Broadway. Most normal people might know her as Brooke from Orange is the New Black. Hmm. I didn't watch that. Uh, So I know her as Stephanie Stilton, who is Diane's mouse boss in a few episodes of Bojack Horseman. Okay. Um, But she's so good. Uh, the, the, The centaur characters are so good. Like the giraffe tar you mentioned. I love his design, Durbleton where he's like mm. the lower body of a giraffe and the torso of a man and then the neck of a giraffe and then the face of a man. Mm-hmm. That's so good. I love Wama Wink, the kind of overprotective mother figure Lamatar. Yeah. She gets she gets better and better as the series goes on. You're about to see if you've just watched episode 3, which is called The Key. Um episode 4 is the first shaman or I guess the second shaman after Water Baby. Um, that's a good episode for Wama Wink. Okay. So I wasn't really sure. Like, I, I think it's cool that the quest is delineated and it also gives you like the chapters of your story as well. Uh, I wasn't really sure why Water Baby showed the part and then took it back. Like, you haven't earned this. <laughs> that was weird to me. Yeah, and it is kind of weird that, you know... I mean, I don't want to spoil anything, but no, I was no. kind of looking at it and thinking like the horse doesn't really earn the key pieces. And I again, I'm not going to spoil it, but you'll see like when you're thinking like it's kind of weird that Water Baby doesn't give her the key piece and tells her to earn it. You're going to think it's even weirder when you see what goes on. Well, I did see the episode after that as well. Oh, you so. did. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. The, with the um, uh, the tree shamans. Yes. Okay, so you know what I'm talking about with Wama Wink, her background, yep. her backstory. Um, now, I'm less glowing than you are on this. Um, the comedic tars bug me. <laughs> okay, fair um, enough. 
Yeah, like I knew I was getting into, obviously, right? Because the show uh, projects those first, like to advertise it, right? Yeah. So I knew I knew I was going to get this kind of show. But then it started off with like a serious, realistically drawn show. And yeah. No, I was I was into it. I was thinking, oh, yeah, yeah. But then eventually it goes to this other realm. And uh, I don't know. It's, it's got a comedic style that is just too aggressive for me. Okay, fair. I was thinking about this in like a philosophical way that so the, the the characters come in and make jokes right yeah there's no setup it's just like here's a joke there's a joke there's a joke did you blink you missed a joke right kind of um so i liken it to being at a party or like at a role-playing game where somebody is far and away the loudest uh m- most attention grabbing person there mm-hmm and it's just kind of a bad time. And I'm saying it's kind of the same way because even if the joke is not that good, right? <laughs> or like it's the setup is obvious, like, uh, oh, you'll need a really smart person to do that. And then it turns out to be Baldrick or whatever, right? There's that like buildup that asks me to anticipate things or think things, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think this kind of show doesn't have that. And so those jokes need to be good, in my opinion, because I'm not being engaged, you know? Yeah, that's fair. I will say, like, like you, I, Derpleton gets tiresome. Yeah. Um, Glendale, as soon as I heard her doing this, it's almost like this internet-y joke girl voice. Mm. Where's your guy that talks like this? Right. I was like, shut up with the meme voice. And that's Michelle, uh, uh, Megan Dong doing that mm. voice um okay but ah, i don't know it's the whole package engaged me i i hear oh. your criticisms oh yes yes but here, okay it's the thing so that coupled with you know the look of the show so the humor and the look of the show are so much like other shows right now mm. and it's kind of funny that the look of the show uh is belied in moments where the animation demands like a mastery of uh, volume and anatomy, right? Yeah. So you got these kind of goofy nothing sort of designs that have to uh, that show greater sophistication when they have to. Mm-hmm. It's a little weird that way, but anyway. They, so yeah, I'm not not a fan of the way they look or the their humor. Uh, but uh, when horse talks, I'm compelled, right? Seeing this realistic horse with a good personality and she sings well. And, you know, I'm, I'm just kind of stupefied to where I think I don't really like the show. And then it's not that hard to watch because the horse does so much. Like I said, Kimiko Glenn, Kimiko Glenn. I, when I saw her, heard her little cameo as a mouse in Bojack Horseman, I was like, well, that's an interesting voice and it makes sense for a mouse. Mm-hmm. Um, she's so good. Yeah, she's she's a great voice actress and an even better singer. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe I'm just a sucker for it, for just like seeing this horse character, because, you know, everything that kind of bores me about the other characters I'm I'm in for because she's so realistically drawn. I I don't know what to tell you. I mean, obviously, I suspect you're going to finish the series. Probably. Yeah. Um, My opinion is that episode seven is the Mm. best. There are, okay. I like them all to some extent. I think I almost kind of don't like the last two episodes almost because it's like the end. Um, mm-hmm. But 
every episode has something to like in it. I think episode seven, which is called Johnny Tea Time's Be Best Competition, A Quest for the Sash. <laughs> OK, I've I've just gone back and watched that specific episode multiple times because it's so good. Zulius is a key figure. The Zulius is a. Um, uh, metrosexual kind of stereotypical gay, really, uh, mm. zebra tar. Yeah. And he's kind of the focal point of that episode, but, uh, boy, it's, that episode's a lot of fun. He's, he might be the weirdest looking one in a <laughs> strange Kind of, yeah. His, his face his is head. kind of round. Yeah. But, um, right. anyway, that was the first, well, it was actually the third, the, the top of the my, best. my ladder of increasingly good cartoons. I'll get to the others in future weeks, but now why don't you tell me what cartoon you want to talk about or news or whatever? What do you want to talk about? Well, I had uh, interesting uh, leads to listening to music. Uh-huh. So I was watching a Brie Larson movie, which um, not animated, but uh, it prompted me to think about her as Envy in uh, Scott Pilgrim versus the world. Okay. And I got in a dispute about whether or not she was singing in there or lip syncing. Hmm. And she does indeed do her own, uh, sing her own version of Black Sheep. Okay. Which led me to look at that video and then look at the original, which is kind of a banger too. <laughs> um, <laughs> then I was reading some JoJo's comics because I'm so impatient for the new uh, <laughs> animation to come out. And... One of the characters, Stans, you know, Stans are like their, their ghost incarnation things. Right. Um, is Heya. <laughs> so I had to listen to Heya. <laughs> yeah. And then just more broadly, it got me to thinking about uh, cartoon themes, which are good, which are bad, mostly which are bad. Okay. So number one best is Centaur World. <laughs> I, I went okay. back and just listened to that sequence of that first episode multiple times. Until mm -hmm. I found the song on iTunes and just went, okay, I can get my fix here. I've listened mm -hmm. to that song so many times. There are oddball ones that I like, you know, like uh, uh, Pole Position. I really like that <laughs> theme song, but the cartoon is, you know, ho-hum. Yeah. So I have, I, I think it's probably the worst, or at least right now it's my worst. Okay. Do you remember a cartoon called Stone Protectors? Is that a spinoff of GoBots? No, 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 no. Stone Protectors is uh, the result of the success of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles when they were making like Cowboys of Moo Mesa and Biker Mice from Mars and all those different shows. Okay. So Stone Protectors are oh, muscly versions of those troll dolls trolls. with the gems in their tummy. Right. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah. yeah are they yeah. rock stars too? Yes, they are. Okay. And their opening theme is they're, they're singing uh, a song. Where they introduce each of them uh, of themselves. Oh, I hate that. Oh, I you, as, a, as a principal. I yeah. used to drive. I had a girlfriend at one time, believe it or not. And mm. I used to drive her nuts because she liked to watch Mystery Science Three Theater. Mystery Science yeah. Theater 3000. And I would always just go, Ugh, I hate this robot roll call. I, I hate it when there's a theme song where they just stop and introduce all the characters. And she huh. it used to drive her nuts every time I commented on that. Well, I guess once was enough. <laughs> <laughs> um, is it specifically opening themes or just anything? Um, like do you hate the um, do you hate the end of cops? You know that cops hmm. roll call. 
And here are Empire City's greatest uh, criminals. I f- actually forgot all about that. I guess it's if it's in a song. Okay. If it's like they're trying to make lyrics out of like, here's all the characters. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. The, the stone protectors one. It's just off. You know, what the, the biggest sin is it's also catchy. <laughs> you know, so it's like, you know, stone protectors. Don't you know? Stone protectors are stones of power glow. <laughs> and then. <laughs> so when they get to the uh, the Scottish one, it's so bad you'll want to bite into your cyanide capsule. <laughs> and the thing is, I don't think I've watched one episode of this cartoon, but it's uh, like a sore in your mouth that you keep having to lick. Yeah. So yeah, y- yeah the opening comes on and I watch it. It's like. <laughs> It's like I want the pain to prove that I'm alive or something. (laughs) (laughs) I got I got other dishonorable mentions too, like uh, uh, Pride of the X Men. Mm. Have you seen that? It's like a a pilot episode they made for an X Men cartoon that never materialized. The only X Men cartoon I've seen was the like the '90s one on Fox. Yeah, I don't like that. it seems like I dislike more Shuki Levy things than I like, because I, I don't really love that X-Men theme. Yeah, it seems, it seems cheap to me. I was thinking um, about that show recently, because I was thinking about, I think I had smelled something at work, and it suddenly reminded <laughs> me of, like, every single time that Wolverine knew something, and they're like, how do you know? And he goes, I can smell him. <laughs> he always has to do the two sniffs after he says that he can smell them. Right. Anyway, well, that's good. That's good. They at least, you know, it's better than you wondering, like, why didn't he smell them? <laughs> um, but the Pride of the X-Men one, their theme is like, oh, so bad. It's like, X-Men, X-Men, this is the day. It's so bad. <laughs> uh, a funny thing you mentioned, the Wolver- Wolverine. In Pride of the X-Men, he's Australian. <laughs> there was like a push at the time to retcon Wolverine to be an Australian because, you know, Australian things were pretty cool, right? <laughs> <laughs> the funny thing is, is Pyro is Australian and they didn't give him an Australian voice. <laughs> but and and I was going to mention Fantastic Four, the 90s Fantastic Four. That ticks your box, too. And that it uh, roll calls the Fantastic Four. <laughs> Fantastic Four. No more. <laughs> Terrible. Yeah. I'll take the uh, that old Mary Marvel. uh uh, cartoon. I think you even um, used a quote from it once um, for the opening. I did a Hulk. Right. Ever loving Hulk. Yeah. Hulk. Hulk. Because I had <laughs> seen that like we were I was I can't remember if you were there or not, but like it was at one of our associates places and that mm. that cartoon came on and we were just kind of laughing at how dumb that that theme was. Hey. Wow. Maybe someday that's going to have to be our shorts Boy, Thor it, or whatnot. Oh, that that Hulk, that Hulk cartoon. I mean, it, it's part of a greater show, but it was talk about limited animation. It was yeah. like every scene would have exactly one object that animates, even if it's just a hand flexing and unflexing while a character talks. Well, they traced the comic panels. OK, OK. I guess that's acceptable. I was, yeah, I was watching. Well, no, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> What's weird is they get the colors wrong sometimes. Oh, but um, uh, who was it? Nerd Sync, I think, is the YouTube channel I was looking at. Uh, I was looking at that he was talking about the Thor cartoon. Yeah, 
And Loki has a whole bunch of different outfits, right? So he's got the one with the, the, the Ford swept horns. Yeah. And then he's got another one that's just kind of a crown and yet another one. And because they're trying to build a cartoon out of just you know, like tracing from comic books, mm-hmm. his outfit changes constantly throughout the cartoon because they can't find, you know, I guess, a, you know, a shot of him shouting from front perspective or whatever. So they have to <laughs> pick it from a different issue. Well, you know, I mean, you could you could make the argument that it's like um, in The Wizard of Oz, where in every mm-hmm. shot that horse is a different color. It's just what it does. Oh, uh, that's right. Loki is the god of trickery. Yeah. I hadn't thought of that. Wow. It's pretty sophisticated, actually. (laughs) It's not lazy. (laughs) I'm surprised they didn't have the narrator talk about it. Loki being the god of trickery. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Oh, man. Got any other terrible themes? Oh, Lordy. I wish I had, Um, you know, you told me you were going to do this and I I, I just kind of went, okay, and then didn't think about it again. And now I kind of wish that I had actually thought, gee, what do I think are terrible cartoon themes? Well, there's some there's some anime ones like the the end of Dan Cougar's Bad. And Mm. then there's Orgus Mecca has got one called Gypsy that's pretty painful. Um, Well, it's not. I mean, you know, anime is not my wheelhouse. Yeah, exactly. But uh, uh, Boy, what are some bad ones? Oh, oh, some of them are a marriage of visuals, right? So it could be that the X-Men one is not that bad, the 90s X-Men. Hmm. But you have that bit where the ACOM animation is really struggling to have Rogue fly in a straight line and the Blackbird behind her fly properly. <laughs> so it just poisons that <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. at the beginning there. So I don't know if it's really as annoying uh, like, if I'd never seen the visuals, would stop the Smoggies theme maybe <laughs> hmm. as annoying? Oof. Because I mean, those hmm. sun tots, I want to punch those sun tots <laughs> in the face, I tell you. Well, I mean, everything about that cartoon from from the bottom, like, it's not, I don't know if it's made to be a, that, that show sucks. It's, it's again, poison that. though, right? It's, yeah. it's kind of like the, uh. You just can't look away, or at least I can't. Oh, stop the small geese coming on. I have to, I have to submit myself to this opening theme. <laughs> oh, you know what's a good one? Mm. Uh, ironically, but, you know, still good. Uh, you remember Captain Redbeard? No. So in Canada, we, have, we had a uh, cable station called Teletoon, um, and... If you've listened to us before, you know that like in, in Canada, Canadian content is important. Mm. It can really make the difference between getting like getting your uh, stuff funded for broadcast. Yeah. Which is why we didn't get Inspector Gadget season two because it wasn't uh, dubbed at uh, it wasn't voice recorded at Nelvana. Right. Um, so we got a whole lot of French cartoons. And one of them was uh, Captain Redbeard. <laughs> and it had uh, the airiest 80s pop theme. It was like, away, Captain Redbeard has no fear. He's the greatest pirate. It's <laughs> it's pretty good. Oh, what was that? I was thinking, well, I was thinking about good themes. And the first thing that came into my mind was the tick. Oh, the, yeah, that's good. But there was another one. And, ugh. Yeah. I always forget the name of this 
cartoon. I want to say it's Spartacus, but I don't think it is. It is. Is it? Spartacus and the Sun Beneath the Sea. That's the one. Yeah. That's got a really good song. It, it's an amazing song. The cartoon looks pretty jank, but... <laughs> I actually want to watch that cartoon. I kind of do, too. It's The first episode uh, has just some pretty scary violence in it. Hmm. Maybe... Like, Maybe we'll do that. Yeah. Maybe like one day we'll, it'll just be a mutual thing. Like, let's both watch the first two episodes of Spartacus. And the it's Sun got continuity to it, too. Yeah, yeah. It's like, a, it's like a quest. Yeah. And it represents that sort of... Uh, it's probably made in the 80s. I was going to say 70s, but... Uh, I remember it from... So there's another channel here in Canada called YTV, um, uh-huh. which is a channel for kids. And I remember when it was coming, like they would have the channel would just air promos for the fact that it was coming over and over talking about how great it was going to be. And then when yeah. it actually aired, you do, you immediately realized, Oh, they just got all the cheapest stuff they could afford. Like the toothbrush oh. family and yeah. ghostbusters, but not the real ghostbusters, the, the filmation ghostbusters. And that Spartacus in the sun beneath the sea was one of the shows that they had all this stuff that you had never heard of. And you just That's kind of a blessing, too, though. Well, it I mean, it is in retrospect, but at the time where you're like, oh, it's going to be this 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 channel all full of all these awesome cartoons. And then it's all stuff that you've never heard of. And over the years, it gave us Count Duckula. Well, yes. Yes. Yeah, it gave us uh, Untalkative Bunny. Or no, that was Teletoon. That never was mind. Teletoon. Yeah. Uh, well, well, screw YTV then. <laughs> I'll give us some. Um, Maybe it was Teletoon again. I think it was both that did Cyber Six. Oh, gosh, I forgot all about Cyber Six. We're going to have to do Cyber Six at some time because mm. I think that's a cartoon most Americans don't know. Interesting. OK, yeah, we can do that. Hmm. Well, unless you have anything further. No, no, no. Let's get on to some Transformers. OK, Transformers, the Headmasters. So this is a show that this was apparently in Japan. It never came to North America as far as I can tell. And it's, no. it's, um, it's in the continuity of the Transformers after the Transformers movie. So Transformers at the very basic level is good guy robots and bad guy robots that can transform into things to disguise themselves. They are from the planet Cybertron. They have come to earth. Uh, and then in the far flung future year, 2005, They've gone back to space. Um, Their leader, the leader of the Autobots, Optimus Prime, is dead and then came back and I guess is dead again. And (laughs) they're the leader of the evil Decepticons. Megatron was transformed into a less problematic gun to make a toy out of called Galvatron. And that's kind of where this so we got these headmaster this okay this review is going to be all over the place because this episode is all over the place boy is it well, you're just doing the, the you're just doing the premise yeah so the premise here is there's specific there's a specific transformers toy called headmasters where they would have the the car or airplane or whatever they turn into would have some kind of an engine which would also be a little robot that would transform into the head that would go on the the humanoid robot form head on. And something that I totally forgot until I saw this cartoon is the fact that the different heads are are changeable between the different robots and affect their D&D ability scores via. A, I don't think they did that in the American one. 
they didn't consider that you could put their different heads on. But if I, you had the toys, you would do that, obviously. Well, I remember there being a little meter like like yes. th- there were different like knobs on the 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 plug in part of the head that would affect yeah. the way that the three different meters would show up on the toy. Now, the toys yeah. were slightly after my time. I never owned a headmaster toy. I wanted one mm. and I was thinking about it and I can't. I mean, it sounds like a privileged thing to say that I can't remember why I didn't get this toy. Mm-hmm. But the fact is that I didn't. Um, so I don't really have much firsthand knowledge of the toys. But um, this is the basic idea of headmasters is that they transformers where there's a little robot that is their head that goes on top. Mm-hmm. And this is the uh, TV show designed to sell them. So this is the fifth episode. It's called Rebellion on Planet Beast, because apparently there's various different versions of this. And in one version, the planet that they go to is called Beast. But we'll get to that. So, okay, here comes the incoherent plot. (laughs) The headmasters are flying around in their spaceship Fortress Maximus, which is also a headmaster headed by a headmaster called uh, Cerebrus. He himself a headmaster. I th- oh, that's right. Yes, I forgot yeah. about that. I forgot about the, the double headmaster stack headmaster thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so they detect two life forms in their armory, which turn out to be the delinquents, a human named Daniel and a rhyming idiot Autobot named <laughs> Wheelie, who people might remember from the movie. Um. So they are the mandatory stowaways on this ship who will get in trouble slash come in useful later. And next, they spot two objects approaching the ship, which turn out to be a couple of furries in spacesuits. They are from a planet which has a different name, depending on which version you watch. Like I said, the title says it's Planet Beast. Um, There is a the fan dub that you mentioned calls it Animatros. Mm-hmm. The dub that I watched calls it alternately Peacetonia or Pistonia, oh. which Pistonia. I, I guess it depends on whether you prefer pee or piss. So <laughs> all it's groovy, baby. <laughs> so, by the way, if yeah. you're going to send two of your animal people out in airtight spacesuits, I wouldn't have picked the porcupine. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, the planet Peacetonia has been enslaved by Decepticons. And these two have come out to find their natural enemies, the Autobots. Uh, The Peacetonians are being forced to work in the mine slash construction site on something. And even worse, some of them have defected to join the Decepticons. And conveniently, the mammals and birds are generally the good guys, and the amphibians and reptiles are the bad guys. Plus the bats for some reason. Yeah. Because they're nefarious bats. Because anything that looks, you know, slimy and mean. Although I think many reptiles are quite cute. And seldom slimy. No, no, they're usually not. I owned a snake yeah. for a long time. He was not slimy. He was very cute. Mm. Um, so the headmasters radio back to tell Rodimus Prime that they are heading to Peacetonia to help. And this does the fun thing that I like in cartoons in a in a yes. bad way where <laughs> a instead of a character being told something, the character will repeat what he was just told. Like, mm. so you're saying that they're going to Pistonia to like, you know, just 
repeating the entire you only get one half of the conversation, but you have to extrapolate. Oh, the the headmasters are going to Pistonia to help some rebels fight off the Decepticons. Are okay. you saying the headmasters are going to Pistonia to help rebels fight off the Decepticons? Like you only get the second half of that. But if you extrapolate the rest of that, it's ridiculous. Right. I got you. <laughs> OK, so anyway. Uh, the, um, Fortress Maximus, their spaceship lands and a evil Pistonian scout sends word back to Galvatron that the Autobots have arrived. And so the Decepticons head to the planet to attack. Meanwhile, the headmasters head out to meet the mammal rebels, instructing the stowaways Daniel and Wheelie to stay put. So of course they instantly wander off. Beseeched <laughs> to be besieged by a small monkey to help find his family in the mines. And as soon as they're gone, Rodimus and some other headmasters who are called monster bots arrive. The first set of headmasters. OK, bear. Try to follow. The hmm. first set of headmasters are attacked by the Decepticons. The monster bots arrive in time to help and show off how the heads of the toys can be exchanged. It's mm. kind of stupid where the, one of the Decepticons will have one of the headmasters in a headlock and then the body yes. will just fall out. But the head stays and then a different body comes up to get into the headlock. But it has different right. it has different stats because it now wait a minute. I just thought of this. The head they is swap the, the thing, high strength guys. in. well, no, yeah. I'm thinking if the head is the head, the thing that because you would think that the head is the thing that alters the stats, right? Hmm. Maybe they both have a role to play in it. Maybe. I didn't think about that until this second. Hmm. Anyway, so Cerebrus is with the rebels and he's watching the fight and he kind of assumes that his men can take care of it. And he wants to know if there's another way to get into the enemy base. And there is, but it's a, in a swamp, which is covered by water and the water is full of metal eating fish. Cerebrus flies away as if going to his home planet to deal with this. Well, the actually, I guess it's not like flying to his home planet. It's more like in um, in Marge's fantasy about Lee Majors. Lee Major. Yeah. And he's like, you know, that's weird. I was thinking about that this week. <laughs> I was thinking about that very same. I got to stop fantasizing about Lee Majors. <laughs> One more. Yeah. Um, so, OK, so he flies away to deal with that and instructs the rebels to head to the swamp, even though the rebels are like, but it's full of water. Yeah. But Cerebrus. Oh, yeah, yeah. I love that the one says, uh, I wish they I wish they talk more instead of rushing into everything. Yeah. I mean, there's I didn't get that in the dub I watched. But like I said, there's different versions. The specifics right, right. of the dialogue might be different, but whatever. So Cerebrus uses Fortress Maximus to vacuum up all the water. And so the mm. rebels head toward the they head into the cave now. OK, so Galvatron and his Decepticons show up to back up the Decepticons that were already there. And there's a shootout and there's a stupid fight where Galvatron's right hand man Cyclonus accidentally hits Galvatron with a rock while he's rolling <laughs> around with Rodimus, which That's is so beautiful. It's another name uh, in the dub that I watched in the same yeah. way that. They can't tell whether it's Pistonia or Pistonia. Yeah. They can't tell whether it's Rodimus or Rodimus. Oh. Which I assume, because everybody knows that Rodimus, Rodimus became the leader when Hot Road got the Matrix of Leadership. <laughs> everybody knows this. Right. You were going to say something? That, th that sequence is, okay, so it's sort of unfair. 
Cyclonus was one of my favorites because uh-huh. he's cool looking, right? He's, he's yeah, he's... sleek, turns into a fighter craft with four swept wings. Looks pretty sweet. He's got a weird head, but yes. Well, he's got like a villainous head, like kind of got horns, right? I always prefer. He's... I always preferred Scourge, but I won't. Okay. I won't judge. He's he's lilac in the cartoons. I'd prefer he was the purple of his toy. Yeah. Um, but he and Scourge are supposed to be really cool, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, they kind of set them up in the movie to be like the next step in Decepticon where they're that much more powerful. Right. For whatever reason, in the Japanese headmasters, there are a couple of bumblers. <laughs> So in that scene, yeah, Rodimus and Galvatron are like rolling and wrestling and Cyclonus has this boulder over his head, a, a real, <laughs> a real artful method of execution for a uh, superpowered robot, right? Right. And he wants Scourge to hold Rodimus so that he can make sure to hit him in the head. And then he hits his leader in the head instead <laughs> and runs away with his arms up in the air. What did I do? <laughs> And yes. it's this comedic, like, bow-legged run where he's, like, wobbling back and forth. <laughs> yes. In the fan dub, he's like, what have I done? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it both kills me. And I got to say, it's pretty funny at the same time. <laughs> okay. <laughs> In the mines. Oh. I'm not sure I mentioned this, but, um, hmm. yeah, Wheelie and Daniel, when they went to uh, help their monkey friend, they got captured. Yeah. So uh, they're captured and they're in the mines and um, they help the prisoners to fight back and kind of free themselves just as the monster bots show up, I guess. And Mm. the monster bots, (laughs) just as we don't know how they got in, they also claim that the exit is now blocked. So Mm. they have to find a new way to get out. So they the little monkey guy helps them find an exit. Fortress Maximus shows up to turn the tide of battle between the Septicons and the Headmasters. The the monster bots and the freed slaves get out through the swamp exit, and they've apparently met up with the rebels off camera. And in the aftermath, the Autobots examine a blueprint they stole and fear it might be a weapon. And the monster mm. bots stay behind to help defend the planet while the Autobots head off. And that's the end. Now, the... The, so when you first gave this to me, right. you, you gave me the theme toys for boys. Here's a Transformers episode. And I, I said in the last episode, like, OK, pretty much any cartoon in the 80s could be advertising toys for boys. And I figured that was it. It's like it's a Transformers, whatever. Aha. It had layers. It had layers. One this. Well, I'll get layer. to the, uh, I'll get <laughs> to one layer. But the other layer is these animal people. Now, Mm. late, late, late in the Transformers toy line, I guess actually the Transformers toy line still exists, but late in the original sort of version of it, there was Mm. this line of, I can't remember what they were. They might be clone bots or something. They're like these little rubber shells of a monster with the robot fits inside. Um, And I kind of, I was looking at these animal things. And at Mm. first I was thinking, oh, are these those things? And then as soon as I saw like the armies of all these different animals fighting each other with this armor on them, it suddenly hit me. These are battle beasts. Right. Battle beasts, for those who don't remember the 80s, are these little anthropomorphic animal figurines. And the idea behind them is they have these little heat sensitive patches on their 
on their chest. It's kind of like if you remember Transformers later in the Transformers, they had these little heat sensitive logos where you could put your finger on it and it would show either an Autobot or Decepticon symbol. I guess it's like a proof of authenticity thing that you're not getting a bootleg transformer or an import from Japan. Right. Um, and this same technology is used on these battle beasts to determine whether they are aligned with fire, water, or wood. The three having mm-hmm. a rock, paper, scissors relationship of strength and weakness with each other. And I remember seeing the commercials for these things and thinking, Boy, that animation looks a lot like the Transformers cartoon. And I think ironically, this one does the, the cartoon well, doesn't. Well, yeah, yeah. I, I think yeah. later in life, I might have picked up somewhere that it actually was a, in a weird way, a part of the Transformers canon. Well, it is here. I didn't realize that's what I was getting into. I was like, oh, this is yeah. this is why Micah gave this to me, because this is well, introducing another toy line. You might. You could be forgiven if by the end of the episode, you still didn't realize they were battle beasts. Well, yeah, they don't do the battle beast. I mean, maybe battle beasts were a different toy in Japan. I don't know. I don't. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, Japan has a whole other. I mean, you know, you think about things like muscle, like Japan has a whole other relationship with little collectible doohickeys. Like maybe they didn't need the gimmick that they stapled. Although at the same time, if it didn't have the gimmick, then they wouldn't have been molded with a spot to put a sticker on them. Yeah. And regardless, did you feel disappointed that you did not get to see one of these guys wield the power of wood? I think I was along for the ride that this whole thing was going to be bullcrap. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I I think maybe there was so much going on that I guess I just didn't expect them to add another layer of complexity. It's like, well, because they are already a lot like, oh, there's some of us that are aligned with with are good and some that are aligned with the Decepticons. And if you have that kind of good guy, bad guy alignment, you can't then add a three way fight between elements. Well, I guess not. But man, okay, they've put a toy in this because they want to sell the toy. Mm hmm. Yes. So, you know, whether or not that scissor paper rock function existed, mm. they're weak. Yeah. They're pathetic. They are. Yeah. The, they're not selling the stuff. They give the, um, what was it Leonidas? I, Leon- Leonis? The version. They, they give the leader. Hmm? Yeah. They like you, you gave me a link to the fan dub, which I watched a little yeah. bit of, but then I switched yeah. to the more official dub. And yeah. I don't know that. I think he called him like sheep leader or something. Yeah. <laughs> Well, he's got a uh, like a magic mirror that gives him guidance from his ancestor. Oh, is that what that is? I thought it was just a communicator. Well, or whatever it is. It's like, but it's okay, yeah, whatever. It's a layer of of lore for him that seems out of place when otherwise they don't do anything cool. These guys. Yeah, that's true. I mean, you're and right. It's funny. It's weird how that they they all have melee weapons that fire blasts. Somehow that's not cool. <laughs> <laughs> it's just lazy, right? They get into a shootout with their uh, halberds. They're just kind of nothing. It's kind of like, you know, if you're watching the filmation He-Man and Stinkor shows up and he doesn't stink. Yeah. 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 They're, they're there. It's curious. Um, yeah, it's it, you, you go through that. Well, <laughs> you you potentially can go through that wave of emotion like, oh, it's those guys. 
Oh, that's all. Yeah, the, the, I mean, I I did like I I went. Oh, it's these guys, and I guess I just didn't expect anything from them, yeah. um, because this cartoon was so all over the place. Like this, you know. Okay, I was gonna say this is what I was kind of alluding to earlier. Like cartoons, there's this always this thinking that cartoons in the '80s were largely toy or, or commercials for toys. Mm. I never really viewed it that way at the time, because the mm. thing is. I would see the actual commercials for the toys or I'd see them in the store or I'd see them in like a department store catalog. Like say there's a new, you know, Heat masters, of the universe action figure, you know, like, like, um, here's a great example, whiplash and buzz off those two action mm. figures. The first time I became aware of them was when I saw them in the store. I was like, Oh wow, there's new figures. And well, and, or the, or you'd have something like Spike Or. Spike Or is actually a really good example. So yeah. Spike Or, I saw in, I don't know, department store catalog or whatever and went, ooh, that looks cool. I want that toy. And eventually I got that toy. And then Spike Or showed up in one episode of the Masters of the Universe cartoon. And that's the thing. The time difference between when the toy actually comes out and when it appears in the show means that I wasn't viewing the show as a commercial for the toy. I was viewing the toy's appearance in the show as a cameo of the toy that I already had. He-Man's kind of a funny circumstance, though. The writers on that show hated the toys, <laughs> or at least they hated, they resented that they were forced to cameo the toys in the show. Mm. If they could have, they would have made the show all about Orko and Cringer, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so um, anyway... My point is, I never I never had the view as a child of seeing these cartoons as commercials for the toys, because by and large, I already knew about the toys when they showed up in the cartoon and made my decision about whether I wanted it or not. Well, all those Hasbro properties, too, they tasked uh, Larry Hama and all those uh, Marvel Comics writers to make a mythology for Transformers and G.I. Joe and all that. Mm. And they... They really put a lot of great work into putting like a respectful storyline that integrates all of these action figures. Yeah, it is true. Yeah. Yeah. They, those those shows do have a pretty good mythology to them. This yeah. cartoon, though, like yeah. maybe it's because I'm older. Maybe it's because I'm distanced from it. But boy, this was like this was a commercial for these toys. It was like, well, it was a bad commercial for them, but it, well, yeah, but like I, I, it was so incoherent that I was just watching them. They're just having a shootout. It's like the, you know, it's like a clip from the commercial. It's, you know, just showing off. Yeah. You know, here, here's the token part of the show where the, the characters will do what the toys can do. And they spend a long time showing you that those meters change every time the heads change. Like this, this show was to me. Well, first of all, it was, oh, the Battle Beasts. And then secondly, oh, this is just a commercial. Hey, I mean, I'll tell you, I've I've tried to watch the Headmasters mm -hmm. because I'm interested, you know, in the continuing lore of Generation One rather than the uh, many reboots we've gotten over the past decade. Sure, sure, sure. But Headmasters is quite boring. Uh. Um, this is an episode where remarkable amounts of stuff happens, <laughs> whereas Headmasters defaults so often to just a shootout where people are on different sides of cover and firing away. Yeah, yeah. 
just episode after episode, it's in outer space or it's on a rocky terrain of Earth or some other planet. And um, also, I think that the... Uh, see, you might watch a little bit of the original. Okay. Um, their characterization are quite boring. Like, think of the Transformers that we're familiar with. They're goofy, right? Mm-hmm. Like, each one is almost like a competition to see how goofy and distinct they can be. Sort of, right? yeah. Whether they're... Whether whether scan beat by Baloop or they're like, you know, you know, beachcombers talking with his his laid back voice or yeah, yeah. you know or, or they they all have these weird weird ticks and stuff. Yeah, the the Japanese ones, well for for starters, they almost all have the same echoing voice effect, mm-hmm. and most of them their personality amounts to being a good soldier, which is kind of boring. Yeah, um, and the music isn't as good. And like I said, not much happens in these shows, most of them. Yeah, I hadn't actually, you know, now that you mentioned it, I hadn't thought about the music, but I guess that's because there really isn't that memorable. Like Transformers just has no. this music that is constantly, it's music that isn't designed with highs and lows in mind. It's just kind of just playing as a soundtrack. What a great soundtrack, though, the original Transformers it's pretty all music. right, yeah. Mm. But this, I don't remember, I don't even know if there was it's music. Forgettable. Yeah, it's forgettable. Yeah, boo. So, um, yeah, yeah. So on the whole, it's like my review is, oh, Battle Beasts. Yep. I, I got a couple other things. Okay. So the train bots feature very briefly in this. Oh, yeah. I wondered about They're that. They're what transport. Yeah. That line that comes in the sky. That's the they transport Rodimus and company to uh, the planet. I thought it looked like a train. I didn't I couldn't think of what it was, though. Well, here's. I think is ironic. What's the deal with the train bots? One of the most restrictive vehicles, one of the most <laughs> limited <laughs> universal vehicles. Those trains can go anywhere. They just go across space and through the sky. And the Astro train can turn into a space shuttle. He can just fly wherever he wants. Well, he wasted his time. He should have just stayed in train mode. <laughs> Pretty funny. And, um, also, the other thing I want to add is, uh, well, a couple things I, more, I guess. Okay, yeah, good. Um, the American Headmasters, it's uh, just four episodes, I think. So it's a season five of or four, depending on how you count them, of just four episodes. And they have a different mythology where it's like the planet Nebulos um, and the, the aliens there. Uh, some of them are rebels and some of them are despots who have atrophied because they rely on technology so much. <laughs> And the Transformers war goes there and it's their high technology allows them to integrate into being their heads and guns. Okay. Um, it's, I think it's a better story. I like that the headmasters makes those, uh, makes the Japanese headmaster series makes those headmasters refugees from Cybertron. They don't, at least in the early going, uh, the early part of the storyline, they don't go into it in too much detail, but at least in my own head, I piece together like, oh, that makes sense for why a guy turning into a car is a disguise, because these guys would have driven them, <laughs> would have driven like cars and stuff. Yeah, yeah. But, um, and I said, lastly, uh, I, I checked out the secondary market for Battle Beasts. <laughs> okay. Yeah, they tend to range ten to twenty dollars a piece, with better deals for lots of them. You know, like 35 bucks or four of them. Did they come in packs of two or three? 
I don't know. They must have, so that you could determine that one would have the edge on the other or something, <laughs> right? Yeah, I, I mean, they're so small, I can't... I mean, I the thing that I'm equating them to, I guess, is army ants, which generally came in packs of mm. three, although I think there was like... There was a pack of five for each side, and then several packs of three as well that were themed around like aerial assault or explosions. Yeah. I never had any of these guys. I was tempted like, oh, they're not that expensive because I like my beastmen. I never did either. I think I had friends who did. They have almost no articulation. I think their arms swivel. I think that's Uh, it. If that. Yeah. So, yeah, beast. Beast, uh, battle beasts. I could never remember the name of these things either. It was hard to Google it. Um, mm. Yeah, ba- uh, battle beasts. Expensive, huh? Hmm. I wonder if those. Yeah. I wonder if those uh, heat sensitive patches still work after all these years. Yeah, I actually was looking up. There's uh, a serv- at least one service online that uh, will get you replacement ones for your transformers, and <laughs> it's not beyond my imagination that they could make you ones for your. Uh, battle beasts i like the idea of a third party giving you a new version of the thing that hasbro used to authenticate that they were real transformers (laughs) (laughs) real nice and ironic like yeah yeah so you're saying (laughs) expensive i bet we can get more expensive and yet somehow tinier hmm um mighty max (laughs) so uh, Polly Pocket has had a resurgence in these past number of years. That's like a little playset that is uh, functionally like a compact that you open up on a swivel lid, you know, or a flip phone. Yeah, it's some kind of We're, little girl thing, like a little purse or a little. Yeah. Like, yeah I don't you, know. you open up like a clamshell. Yeah, yeah. And then it becomes a playset for some really tiny figurines. Yeah. Well,. They took that girl's toy, ew, and made it into a boy's toy yeah. with lava and skulls Yeah, called Mighty Max. And although it was the 90s, we were still making cartoons uh, to back these toys. So uh, the mythology of Mighty Max. Well, we're talking about the first episode, so I guess I don't need to give the backstory yeah, that's, to it. Yeah, that's why I gave you the first episode. Hey, shame on me for starting episode five. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, what backstory? I mean. Yeah, exactly. Robots fight, whatever. In this case, the, f- the first episode of Mighty Max is called A Bellwether in One's Cap, written by Rob, Rob Hudnut and Mark Zaslov in 1993. Oh, it's that late? Uh, I'm yeah. not sure I realized it was that late. Okay. Yeah, it's like junior high. Mm. <laughs> um, I guess that makes sense. I guess so. We start off with these hor- horrific mechanical machines that are tunneling through rock and lava at the orders of a skull-faced demon, Skullmaster, in furtherance of his vengeance against the surface world. Meanwhile, uh, a 12-year-old boy named Max returns to his mansion after school. The decor suggests that his mother is a collector of antiquities and curios from around the world. Indeed, she's an archaeologist. Okay. Uh, his room, however, suggests that he is mechanically adept and intelligent, despite his disregard for schoolwork and authority in general. A package arrives for Max. Inside is a statuette of a humanoid bird. Max references a book to read the hieroglyphics on the statuette. And the words award him the title of Cap Bearer 
and instructs him to go to the mini-mart for a sign. And rather luckily, he drops the statue when he becomes startled at mention of his actual name. And when the statue breaks, it releases a red ball cap emblazoned with a gold uh, letter M. To match the big red letter M on his shirt. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Hey, we could, well, we he's could both pull that off. <laughs> yeah, true enough. Eminem. <laughs> um, so far down, back, we're back down under the earth now. Skullmaster is alerted to the creation of his destined nemesis, and he dispatches a lava beast to the surface. Max encounters that same lava beast at the convenience store, and the kid shows some deft moves on his bike in order to stay ahead of the monster. And unknowingly, he activates his magical baseball cap to open a portal through which he can escape. Now, in Mongolian wastes, he meets the Lemurian bird sage, Virgil, who was represented in the statuette. And Max's protector, Norman, a burly swordsman. While demonstrating the hat's ability to make portals that lead all over the earth, Virgil informs Max that he has inherited the last cosmic cap and that the boy's skill, role, and destiny is to be a hero. They return to Max's mansion and Virgil's knowledge and Norman's brute force combine to uncover a secret basement. In that basement is a gaudy hallway of Egyptian statues leading to a skull relief that marks a potential portal to Skull Mountain, home, home of Skullmaster. The same lava beast catches up at the trio, and when it attacks, Virgil shoves Max out of the way, but himself stumbles through the portal. Max accepts the challenge. He and Norman follow into the underground hellscape. Norman gets waylaid by stone humanoids, leaving Max by himself with Skullmaster. The intimidating fiend backs Max up until he bumps into his prized magic crystal. Max buys himself some time to escape when he tips the crystal and forces Skullmaster to focus on catching it. The hero finds and frees Virgil, and as they flee from Lava Beasts, they reconnect with Norman. Max returns the fighter's sword so that he can finish off the stone men. Then, Skullmaster catches up to Mighty Max, but the plucky youth operates one of the tunnel excavators that we saw at the beginning. And he just rolls over Skullmaster. <laughs> the vehicle topples into the lava that floats long enough for the three of them to get to a perilous portal positioned over the lava. And their leap is just in time because Skullmaster, very much alive, crawls out from underneath the driller. But they escape and their villain tumbles helplessly with the uh, driller down a lava waterfall. Max, Virgil, and Norman escape to Australia, but apparently have a long walk ahead to find the next portal. And that's how we end. Well, no, 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 no. Uh, I, I won't prompt you here. Uh, there is a PSA. Max gives the audience a brief history lesson about the Taj Mahal, one of the places he briefly visited during his teleporting jaunts around the world. Uh, my understanding is that this is a period of time where... TV companies were less interested in PSAs about being a good person or being safe mm. and more interested in education. Um, Makes sense. Al Yankovic, Weird Al Yankovic, um, in the 90s, he 
set out to create a TV show, the Weird Al show. And mm. the executives that he was talking to kind of said, well, we're, all, we're not really interested in silly kids shows. We're only interested in something that's educational. And Al said, oh, this is educational. And that's why if you watch the Weird Al show, every episode has a theme of like Al learning not to lie or Al learning whatever. Like it has like a life lesson as an overarching yeah. theme, because that's the kind of thing that TV companies were really interested in kids shows at that time was hmm. teaching you things. I don't mind that. I, I didn't mind this actually. Yeah, it was okay. Cause it was just, it, it was brief and it was to the point. The thing that annoyed me, like I was like, okay, yeah, it is brief and to the point. But the thing that annoyed me was that it was there in lieu of the credits in the version that I watched. So, right. Cause I wanted to, yeah, I, I, I specifically went to find the credits yeah. to have a look at them. Yeah. Um, but I wouldn't have needed the credits to recognize the powerhouse voice acting group hmm. in this. Rob Paulson, who we mention a lot on the show, is Max. And he's doing his uh, smarmy kind of smart aleck that I really like from Rob Paulson. You th you think I'd like uh, Yakko more because I like other characters like Raphael and the, uh, and the Turtles and Mighty Max here. I um, I hated Rob Paulson as Mighty Max. <laughs> I yeah. Mm, he do you think he doesn't sound enough like a kid? Also, <laughs> yes. I think I've been spoiled. Yeah. Like in modern, like this was a time 1993. If you had a male cartoon voice, it was going to yeah. be either Jim Cummings or Rob Paulson, basically. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so it's like it was almost like laziness, like. Who's or who's our male lead? Well, is it a goofy, deep voice or a normal voice? That's pretty normal. OK, that's Rob. Nowadays, yeah. any cartoon isn't really starting with the voice actors first. It's like you think about Marco in Star versus the Forces of Evil. Like, mm. that's just kind of nobody. Uh, he's probably my favorite voice in the show, though. And it, it's a good voice. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like uh, in, yeah. in 12 Forever, what's the friend's name? Todd, is it? Um, yes, that voice actor's biggest credit before then was that he's pit in Nintendo's various versions of Kid Icarus. Like it's all okay. people who are like relatively unknown. Like you don't have to be a known voice actor who is in everything to be like. It's like they audition for who sounds best as the voice, not which voice actor known voice actor is available. And at this time. It was just, oh, we have to get Tress McNeil. We have to get Rob Paulson. We have to get Jim Cummings. Yeah, yeah. And and I mean, to some extent, until he died, there was also always a place for Tony Jay, who you will also mention in a moment, I'm sure. Yeah. And I just I I hated Rob Paulson. Like it's it's probably because I'm spoiled by how many good voices there have been since then for, that come out of nowhere instead of a known a known quantity. But just hearing that voice again, sounding way too mature for a 12 year old and just doing his best mm. flippant 1993 tubular teen. I just couldn't stand it. It it detracted so much from the show for me. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, maybe you like the other ones, though, mm. like Tony J. Tony J is the uh, sage Virgil. Tony J only. The he only really has mm. one voice. 
but you know yeah. it's fine it, like um he was megabyte in reboot if you heard his voice you would know it i think he might have been frollo in disney's uh hunchback of notre dame as well i think that's how most people know him sure uh however i have more affection for him here as the uh <laughs> the learned chicken man yeah the um, lemurian not a lemur yeah but a fowl but not a chicken right yeah confusing yeah. yes um the other <laughs> the other one that i'll just randomly uh will invade my head is him as like a random dog in balto who says but what about the medicine because <laughs> it stands out so much because it's tony yeah, j yeah, right yeah. But, uh and you have Richard in, in Mighty Max. You have Richard Mall as Norman. Richard Mall. I did not know that he was such a prolific voice actor because this is the oh, yes. second time now where I've gone. Wait, that's him. I didn't know he was Two Face in Batman the Animated Series. Like yeah. I know him exclusively as Bull from Night Court. Yeah, but he's had a life after Night Court, yeah. and he's pretty good as Norman. I think a lot of people who like the show like Norman. He's his characterization is a little stiff in this first episode. He doesn't talk but he very gets much to at do all. More. Yeah. He gets to do more and be sassier. Okay. In subsequent ones. Mm. Uh, you have Tim Curry snarling it up as Skullmaster. See, this is one that I actually did have to look up just to confirm. Because right. he's not he's not really doing the Tim Curry default voice. He's a little more low and slimy and sinister. And I could pick up Tim Curry in it, and I was like, that's why I wanted to see the credits. I was like, is that Tim Curry? Because it sure sounds like it, but he's doing a different voice. And yeah, it's a shame that Tim Curry hasn't done more voice acting because he's so good. He is, but also I find that he goes on these weird flights where he is very hard to understand. Mm. Where he's, he, you know, like I said, he's snarling and he's using, uh, oh man, in, in Peter Pan and the Pirates. He uses a lot of strange uh, pirate speech as well that can be very hard to identify. You know, I don't think I put together until just now that he was Captain Hook in that. I mean, I, I yeah. haven't thought about that cartoon in so long, but as soon it was almost my choice for a good one, bad one episode. As soon as you mentioned it, I, I thought Tim Curry. Oh, he must have been. a Oh, he must have been Captain. Yeah. OK, I remember that voice. I didn't. Right, right. I totally didn't realize I was. Yeah, OK. I mean, and. Other, even if you don't like some of these voices, they were notables, like in this show, some of them not featured in this particular episode, but we had Kath Susie, uh, Corey Burton, Tress McNeil, and Frank Welker. I mean, kind of the, you know, it's 1993 and we need some cartoon voices. Very much your go-tos, though. Yeah. Where's Peter Cullen? Um, <laughs> right. Where's Jim Cummings for that matter? I think he does do something in uh. this. So uh, this has between two seasons, a pretty respectable 40 episodes. Mm -hmm. I read that it was popular and I guess, you know, to have two seasons, you are popular as a cartoon. Yeah. Especially this one's like an independent production from Bobot Entertainment. <laughs> and I think. Mighty Max could have had more success if it had the weight of something like Cartoon Network put behind Ben, uh, ben 10 in the modern yeah, era. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I mean, I mean, I remember, I specifically remember 
someone that I went to junior high with telling me, oh, no, Mighty Max is good. Because, I mean, I saw it the is. commercials yeah. for the toys and I'm like, oh, it's boys Polly Pocket. Boo. Mm. But, <laughs> but then this guy who's like, if it's the guy I'm thinking of, I, I think I have the right friend here. He was like, he was into like heavy metal music and like, you know, violent video games. Like he was the guy who introduced me to Doom and Mortal right. Kombat and stuff. And he's, he's like, oh, Mighty Max is good, man. And I'm like, mm. it's pretty metal. For sure. Yeah, I mean, maybe it doesn't show up as much. I mean, this this first episode has it doesn't have a lot of violence in it, but it has hmm. more violent imagery than you would hear in a lot of cartoons, like how like Skullmaster tells his minion to bring him Max's heart and I will eat it raw. That's yeah, that's pretty brutal for a 1993 cartoon. Yeah, yeah, it's, I understand it's got implied deaths in it. Yeah, too. I, um, I understand it. Like, I again, this episode isn't a great uh, display of it, but from what I've read, it it has kind of a, a history of, or not a history, but it it has a, 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 a what's the word I'm looking for here? Reputation of being pretty violent and scary. At the very least, it's demonic. Mm. Right? Yeah, yeah. We get a picture of hell, basically. Yeah, yeah. I kind of like this first episode as having such such a brisk pace and really not being plot heavy. Nothing happens. It's all exposition. Yeah. And it's just we got in danger and we got away from danger. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't mind that. Yeah. They could have overloaded this. I mean, it's uh, it's fine as a setup episode. Like, I, I wish there was a little I wish I had picked one that had a little more action. But I liked the idea of just, you know, if this is going to be plot heavy. Let's start at the beginning of the plot. As you said, this this is the 90s show, and I did not make a point of watching this all the time. Mm -hmm. But I did like it when I did see it. Okay. But I had, like, holes in my understanding of the show. Uh, for example, uh, Mighty Max's, one of his other main antagonists is Cyber Skull, who I always assumed, because of his prevalence in the show, was... An evolution of Skullmaster. Okay. Two skull-themed villains, you know. Yeah, yeah. It's just it's it's kind of cool. It's animated okay, not great, but okay. Yeah. I was, I was surprised. I expected this to be Acom. Hmm. Um, one of the reasons is, well, because they do these kind of action shows, uh, at the time anyway, and also because they were involved in GI Joe Extreme. <laughs> There were quite a few shows at the time that had this kind of look to them where they'd have heavy black shadows. Yeah, They're like, not. It's, yeah, it's like this is not. Acom. It's like um, everybody saw Batman, the animated series and went, what can we do? Well, here you go. Yeah. The animation uh, studios that represent this show quite a bit include Dong Yang Animation, Coco Entertainment and Sun Mean Image Pictures Company. <laughs> and. Three things that uh, the, the th things that these three studios all have in common are Batman DC cartoons, <laughs> as well as gargoyles. Oh, okay, yeah, that's where I know that from. I I knew I knew the name Sunbeam from somewhere. Yeah, hmm. And you know, this is um, the ambition of the show outreaches the skill of the animation. Yeah, 
and the toy that it's I, trying to sell. Frankly, <laughs> it's one of those ones, like you said, like Transformers and GI Joe, where they're like just putting so much effort into let's make this a good cartoon. I was surprised, just like with Battle Beasts, I looked up the uh, the Mighty Max toys on the secondary uh-huh. market. I'm surprised at how many playsets there there are. They might have rep- nearly represented one per cartoon. Oh, weird. <laughs> I don't think so, though. I think some of them are just one-offs that they didn't adapt. You know, for the sake of storytelling, they couldn't <laughs> yeah. make all of them. Well, um, I mean, based on the little educational part at the end, my assumption would be that a lot of the episodes are like, this episode's about Australia. Here's a fact about Australia. This episode is in the Sudan. Here's a fact about the Sudan. You know, that kind of thing. Right. I don't remember the PSAs well at all. No, I mean, I mean, I don't oh, remember sure. much at all about this show. Hmm. Yeah, it's funny. I mentioned earlier on that his mother is an archaeologist, and you actually do see her in some storylines. Yeah. Um, that seems to be the perfect go-to uh, job for a parent whose child is going to become a magic hero. <laughs> they always have curios delivered there, you know, uh, books with curses. <laughs> yeah that's a good point it's it might be victimized by being in this era like you said talking about rob paulson's voice and how you've got other options now yeah it would be hard to pick this up as a show now i think maybe it's pretty cool though yeah um i think mostly if you do it'll be because you like the characters and yeah like I say, I think Norman really grows to, into being kind of this cool guy in the uh, in the show. I think if you heard what it was and like right. someone said, this is a boy's version of Polly Pocket and they made a cartoon show that's really violent and scary. You mm. might go, well, hang on, let me actually see what you're talking about. Yeah, true enough, true mm. enough. Well, let's see what we're talking about next time on Animation Celery. Uh, mm. we're, we're going to do our stand, I mean, <laughs> I like to think of it as the default for this show, but it's really what we do like once a month, which is, uh, just a couple of shorts, just a couple of short features. And right. for you, Micah, I have dipped into the world of Hanna-Barbera. Mm. You're going to watch a Yogi Bear call to call or to, you're going to watch a Carlton Carlton. You're going to watch a Yogi Bear cartoon called Booby Trapped Bear. Oh, my God. Okay. And you're going to watch an Augie Doggy and Daddy Doggy cartoon. Oh, my God. <laughs> called Pop's Nature Pup. Ah. It's got a nice roll to it. Pop's Nature Pup. Oh, my God. My cat just forced her way through the air conditioner. <laughs> that has a nice roll to it. Yeah. Okay. Uh, before I go terrorize her out in the balcony. Yeah. Um, for you. <laughs> I have a Woody Woodpecker cartoon. Ooh. Who would have guessed we have so many darn Woody Woodpecker cartoons on the show? Yeah. The episode of Woody Woodpecker I want you to watch is Dopey Dick the Pink Whale. <laughs> From 1957. Oh, oh boy. What is with cartoons of that era making parodies of Moby Dick? 
Well, I bet you can predict what the second cartoon I'm going to make you watch is. Oh, no. Oh, wait, you said a couple of Woody Woodpeckers? No, no, just one Woody Woodpecker. Oh, boy. Other oh, one. give it to this other say one. Say the words. Tom and Jerry Ooh. from 1962. Ooh, from the Czech Republic. <laughs> well, I guess it was Czechoslovakia at the time. Yes, yes. Dicky Mo, Dicky Mo, Mo. <laughs> All right. We fulfilled the mission statement of this premise. Woot. This this animation celery is just so we can at some point talk about Dicky Mo. Okay, we can stop now. <laughs> yeah. Cool. <laughs> All right. So we got Yogi Bear. We got. Augie Doggy and Daddy Doggy. We got Woody Woodpecker. We got Tom and Jerry. Okay. So that'll do it for us this week. Uh, tune in next week to hear all that kind of crazy in-joke stuff. Uh, we would love to hear from you. Let us know what you think. Let us know what you think we should watch. Tell everybody about the show. That's something that we don't tell you to do enough. Tell other people to mm-hmm. watch it. We'd appreciate it. We like it when people, when new people come and listen to us talk about our dumb garbage um, or just talk dumb garbage to me at AC Matsy on Twitter. That's right. And I'm at drab swatch on Twitter. Thank you everyone for listening. Now I'm going to relax, have a tall glass of Gebel's goo and vibe to the sweet sounds of the celery stalkers slogan. Darn those Decepticons that do anything to satisfy their own needs. Hmm. <laughs>